Today's podcast has Julia McCabe in it, and we are three really good friends that move in and out of friendly banter from the deep teachings of yoga, um, from the ancient and neuroscience lenses. This podcast talks about selective attention, how our attention spans are waning, how to breathe and why it's important to breathe properly. Uh, We talk about teacher trainings, our triggers, how to deal with them. Uh, Julia teaches us a ladder breath, and then she gives us a prompt at the end. This podcast jumps right into us just having a conversation. I hope everyone enjoys. This is the Daily Practice Podcast with Crystal Borelli and Andrea Hellman. Hariyum. Hariyum, Hariyum. Because we're ultimately a yoga podcast. Okay. Right? But, but you're layering in the, the science. It's kind of bringing those two worlds together. Because I feel like I have a lot of questions, then I ask Crystal, and then she spins it into her uh, mm-hmm. ancient teachings. And mm-hmm. then I haven't seen my therapist since I started doing the podcast with Crystal. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Nice one. I take no claim to that. Because we just chatted out. <laughs> yeah, just chatted Between out. Crystal life. and my hairdresser, yeah. I'm good. That's good, yeah. <laughs> and inevitably, when I start to get into the neuroscience, it blends into the... I'll start to talk about all the energy anatomy because they're mm-hmm. essentially one and the same. Well, Anatomy of the Spirit, right? One of the mm-hmm. books you had us read. Mm-hmm. And that is just bringing how it is bringing all those things together. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how all the ancient teachings, how they like gathered all the information was that a question well I'm just saying like (laughs) we don't know how they gathered it but it like works but now using like the lens of 2023 you can actually use science to explain why it does work it is amazing one of the first observations that I have is that uh when you look back to ancient teachings they didn't have fMRI machines, neuroimaging, they didn't have all these things yet they, nor did they have the access to the type of anatomy that we do now. So for example, opening up the body, you know, during, oops, Christianity, for example, or religions would say, don't, you know, you can't cut the body open so that we, we, you know, 2000 years ago, there was not the amount of information that we have now of biology. And yet you know, the yogic energy anatomy knew specifically through the lens of the chakras, right? Or the pathway of the chakras that there, there is this understanding of these major internal organs that have to happen to intersect with the, the energy anatomy of the chakras. I keep bumping that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I think that like they, I mean, they didn't know in the way of like, we say like it has to be proven by science to know, but they did know, like they went in and they did the visualization and they did those deep, long meditations. They did come up with these energy, you know, systems that really worked and that could heal the body. And they came up with all this different, um, yogic techniques that help us even now in this day, even with all the science, like we still go back down back to these ancient teachings that originated. And, but yeah, now the science is backed up behind it. Right. But they knew now everybody just questions everything, you know, and we, we have to have the last word. Like there's only one truth. That's the big thing that's been blowing my mind with like that two things can exist at the same time and be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One can be like your, I was thinking about this recently as well, because from, even from this podcast, I'm like, and I listen back, I'm like, God, I sound so like, this is the truth. This is the one way, but there's many ways. And that, that, 
truth is so real in the moment until you learn the next truth. <laughs> and they're like, oh, there's like a little spin on it, or there's another viewpoint, or there's another branch off of that that is also very true that might be opposing, but as you said, like it's true and this is also true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, I'm studying in neuroscience belief bias and how when we're uh, exposed to something over and over and over again, even on a subconscious level, we begin to believe in that belief on a deep subconscious level. And then that becomes our truth. And that's where we see, you know, next level when people believe in, for example, a ridiculous, yet it might not be ridiculous conspiracy theory of we're on May 21st, we're going to go to a certain location and aliens are going to pick us up because that's the end of the world. And this year, (laughs) I'm going not this year. (laughs) Now, this is something that I've just been studying cool in my course. It's called the neuroscience of society and going deep into conspiracy theories and why it is on a, on a neurological level that we, what's happening with the brain. And that's where it gets really cool because it's, it's, sorry, this is totally tangent, but just how we, we 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 develop beliefs, right. And why, and the, and how, if anything, yeah, keeping an open belief about beliefs is a good belief to have because not everybody's right all the time. And then there's certain things that are just not, um, you know, factual. And this is what I've been studying this month, especially in neuroscience and how, Basically, selective attention is when we, on a subconscious level and on a brain level, are paying attention to things that, you know, basically support our belief or our bias in in a subject, a topic, a conversation, what's going on. You know, we've just seen a lot of this in the last two years. But social media, I was saying, feeds into this selective attention um, silo in a way. So what we're getting fed through our social media, we know now nobody's, you know, it's no surprise. Everybody knows that there are algorithms and social media is following what we're following. And, you know, the phone is listening to us. And so it's, it's paying attention to what we're paying attention to. So I think the crack in that system is that then we're only getting exposed to what it is that we believe. But it is really interesting that it comes down to our, our brain and what it is and our, and our belief systems and our values and, and why that might be. It creates like a divide. And that's just it. Yeah. That is, it, I think that has created more conflict in some ways than it has peace. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Now that we broadcast so much, you know, like mm-hmm. it's definitely shifted the way we express ourselves, like, like the way we filter, like, I don't know. There's just, I was talking with a girl the other day and she was saying that she doesn't like posting too many happy things about her daughter. Cause she knows a lot of people, you know, how challenging that is for other people. And I was like, well, you can't really filter cause that like can't filter yourself based on what you think somebody else might feel. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's mm-hmm. just so many filters now to life. Mm-hmm. But I feel mm-hmm. like everybody does that on social. Like they put up this different life, not always different, but there's, you're only seeing a little snippet of somebody's life through the social media, right? So <clears throat> sometimes it can be just the happy stuff. And I mean, cause that's what people want to share. So everyone's pretty much doing that. My understanding is our attention span is declining drastically. Oh yeah. It's brutal. It, I think that there's the comparison that a goldfish has a greater attention span than we do human <laughs> oh, beings. No. Right. A little sad. Have you, and have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of supportive research looking at one massive shift in, in terms of disturbances in terms of, for example, we're seeing anxiety, depression, but also ADHD, you know, attention deficit. People throw that around all the time. Mm-hmm. I personally can speak from a personal 
level where I can def definitively look at a point of now versus 10 years ago and my attention, for example, to be able to sit down and actively read a book is, has been usurped by, by just being on our phones. And for those of us, we're children of the eighties. <laughs> we know what it's like to be without a cell phone versus not, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of debate around that. We know the good and the bad. There's a lot of positive with all of what we have now, but, um, yeah, our attention I think has been greatly waned as a, a due to the result of, of digital devices and, and, and all that. So, and I think I'll add in too, like there was a doctor that went on with saying, or a couple of doctors saying around the kids with the masks, a lot of them, when they are growing up, they read lips and they see facial expressions and they really learn a lot in that cognitive, would it be a cognitive experience? Yeah, sure. You can yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Thanks. I'm a little nervous because Julia's like the brains over here. Fuck. Okay, so, <laughs> and so they say that like um, the children's IQ have, have dropped like 21 or 20% mm -hmm. in that that short little period of time because they aren't fully developing, like they're behind basically because they aren't fully developing because they're, you know, their face is like covered, their mm -hmm. parents' face and their face and all the mm -hmm. bits, everyone they're seeing. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, like losing two years of your development at peak time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I failed kindergarten. Oh, mm, good for you. <laughs> what do you, what do you do to fail kindergarten? Like, cause I remember it's just, <laughs> what I remember of kindergarten is you had to tie your shoelace and count to a hundred. Oh, right. I think that was you know, the only requirements. I used to make this little boy, Tim, tie my shoelaces. <laughs> Tim. So I would have failed too. Tim, can you please reach out to the daily life? Little Tim with red hair. Every day he would tie my shoelaces and yes. cut paper for me. Yes, Julia. Like a fucking queen. Always been a kept woman, yeah. Oh my I God. like it. No, mine actually is kind of sad. My I love your snort. My, par my parents were um, getting divorced. And so my mom was living in the float house and my dad was living in our home. And so at, um, when I lived with my mom, I had to go, I'd walk to school along the ocean, which was like super rocky and like it's not even like just like a path like it was like climbing on rocks to get around to the trail anyways then i the school is getting renovated at, at five yeah 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 laskiti man yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so the school is getting renovated so I, the school i grew up or i went to school and was across the street from my dad's and then when i would stay at my mom's i'd make my way there um, but you get picked up by the bus at the school that was getting renovated and you get the bus all the way down to the other end of the island. So I'd wait until the bus left and then I'd walk home and be like, I missed the bus again. So I just was absent too much to be able to graduate because I was sad. I didn't, I didn't want to be away from my mom because they were getting divorced and I was really upset. For sure. Yeah. So it's a sad tale. That's but, legit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out fine, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. You're great. You're here yeah. with us. I totally. don't know what that says. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Life is good. Do you want to steer it a little bit or we're we just going to ask Jules lots of questions? Well, first, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Mm, thank you. Thank you for being here, Miss Julia McCabe. A longtime friend, but first she was my first teacher, yoga teacher, other than my parents. But Julia was my first teacher and I will say that I was her first student. Mm -hmm. Well, in the way of being we're a graduate. Officially. I remember yeah. the day you passed me your check. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> How did that feel? Exciting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cute. <laughs> I used to bring her flowers all the time. Oh yeah, flowers. Uh, she she had her love on for me. <laughs> I did. And it was she's very keen. She's the keenest student, oh, yeah. always 
like front row center wide eyed is raising her hand. I just brought this up in class um, on Friday to mm-hmm. the students. I was like, because uh, it was a full class and I, the person came in late. So I was like, oh, right up at the front, right in front of the teacher. I'm like, don't worry. I was that student. <laughs> front row, hand up to the point where Julia had to pull me aside during the training and be like, okay, Chris, you got to wait until <laughs> we finish the lesson to ask all the questions. Because I'd be like, ooh, question, ooh, question. <laughs> I remember having a lot of questions for you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel for you then as a teacher? I don't overthink it, but I think once I'm, when I'm reminded of it, I think, wow, if it reminds me of the, the passage of time, all of the incredible places that I've traveled and met amazing people. And just the other day, there was a student of Konami's, Konami's doing teacher trainings now, which is yes. another, you know, and there's a student of hers who'd graduated from Konami's training. So oh, that's so cool. I feel like a grandmother. <laughs> amazing. So I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. How many, I think I read on your website recently, you have like over a hundred graduate students under you. Is that what it is at, or maybe it's a bit more? Um, no, I think it, there's, it's more. Mm. I think that now I, f- I thought I had around fast, fast math. It's, it's near the, f- like between three to 500 now. Oh shit. It's yeah. time to update your website. I think, yeah, that's an old, <laughs> an old edit. But if you include all the, you know, the online stuff that I've been doing for the last two years as well, the, the shorter continuing yeah. education programs and, um, but yeah, I had the, my last actual official teacher training was in, in, um, Sri Lanka before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of crazy because mm-hmm. you were sort of early adopter. I don't know if you're early adopter, but you know what I mean? Like doing the teacher trainings and everything. Mm-hmm. And now you've kind of gone into this other path where you're getting like deep into neuroscience. Mm-hmm. You're kind of always progressive. I think because I was so steeped in the deep interest of an energy anatomy and with, I don't want to say the C word cause we're all so over it, but I think that it really opened up and it illuminated the mental health crisis that has been happening on our planet. 10 times. It was already bad enough yeah. leading up to. For me, it is, I'm just looking to constantly evolve, stay relevant, stay resourceful, have more to offer. And I was just curious to see, okay, well, what I've learned in yoga, wellness, energy anatomy, is it consistent in brain science? Typically, my move, I get obsessive over something and focused <laughs> and, and then threw myself into a master's program on it just to get to really know, you know, be like, not, I'm not just going to read a look. I'm going to like really fucking know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pin it up against the wall and know it in intensity. But, um, now I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm studying. Fair. No, but yeah, no, it's very, very, um, it's fascinating, but I think that it is, uh, relevant right now and still continues to be so we have yet to see the, the, the repercussions of the pandemic. Yeah. So that's where I'm at now. I do find as well that as a teacher and a student of this practice, I am constantly studying and wanting to learn because it brings inspiration to my classes. It makes me want to teach mm-hmm. because I'm I'm like fueling a part of myself of mm-hmm. like filling up with some knowledge or, mm-hmm. and then I'm excited to share that knowledge with my students. So it keeps the fire burning a bit for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you I think, think like, I th- yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that the teacher that stops being a student, they might as well stop being a teacher. Yeah, totally. And you're way more legit or like you're bridging like two different worlds together. Exactly. Something that I find really fascinating that I know that you've spoken about this before because I've taken some of your online courses um, as well that I feel like this came up, but the bridge between the pranayama because you're a heavy pranayama teacher mm-hmm. um, 
and breath-centric teacher. And so the bridge between pranayama and the neuroscience and like those moments that you're like, holy shit, like this is so cool. This comes together. Like this explains this. Like this Mm -hmm. is what the yogis were always talking about. Mm -hmm. And now we have science that's like, this is it. Like Mm -hmm. that's what sparks my interest Mm -hmm. because it was something that sparked the interest with me around the mythology of yoga and mantras. And I'm like, oh fuck, like warrior two was, you know, called forth by Lord Shiva. Are you fucking kidding me? Like that's so cool. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. more to it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about your what was, is there a couple or is there one that stands out that really connected the like pranayama and the magic between the two of neuroscience? Oh gosh. I mean, there's so many right away. My mind goes to the mechanics of the diaphragm, which is for those of you who don't know your anatomy listening to this. So you've got this massive muscle that divides the pleural cavity, which means your lungs from the, your digestive cavity. And it moves like this big, beautiful jellyfish type of muscle up and down. And the, I suppose the, the nervous system biology behind that is that we, when we diaphragmatically breathe and, uh, in the book breath by, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the author? James Nestor. James Nestor wrote the book breath. Everybody who's listening to this needs to read that book. He spoke of how 90% of the population only uses 10% of their diaphragm to the fullness that they could actually use it, which when we look at the anatomy of the diaphragm and then the nervous system information that lives below the diaphragm, which is responsible for our autonomic nervous system responses, so rate of the heart and how we breathe and also our stressors. When we have a stress response, it shows up in our autonomic nervous system. Well, we have all this amazing, if you were to pull up your diaphragm and look at almost like the spaghetti wires of your autonomic mm. nervous system. It lives right underneath the diaphragm. And that connects right, of course, to the, the brain and for everybody who's listening and they love the vagus nerve and all of that and anatomy. It's all interconnected. So just that alone of just teaching someone who is in distress and teaching them for seven, eight breath or even just deep diaphragmatic breathing um, is life-changing. And in fact, you think that to breathe is a very basic elemental thing. What's the big deal about breath work? And then when you get somebody into class and they have never done breath work before, some people don't even know, and I kid you not, how to breathe through their nose. Mm-hmm. Just nose breathing is this massive challenge, let alone that conscious contact that we make with our breath, which in essence is spirit, is prana. We talk about it all the time. You know, even the word to inhale means in, I think, Greek or Latin, inspire, or to take in spirit, Mm -hmm. which connects us to the practices of yoga. I mean, there's so many parallels, right, of how breath is spirit, even all all the undertones of what happened during COVID was all around breath and how all of a sudden our breath was a weapon. Mm-hmm. right? And how people were scared of people breathing around them. And, you know, I'll never forget running through the day, the week of in March, 2020, this woman running like Jesus on the cross with her fists out through Stanley Park with a mask yelling, 10 feet, 10 feet. Oh <laughs> you know, like oh we went God. cuckoo. Yeah. We didn't want people to breathe on us and mm-hmm. because we thought we we're going to die. So all of a sudden when our breath became lethal, there was this, this magnification on what is our breath what, what has happened to it? What are the, what is this virus, right? That's going to kill us or is going to affect us. And, and in essence, when I saw it as a completely spiritual moment where I thought, this is so obvious. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. And that we're having this moment in time that is actually telling us to stop, slow down. You need to breathe more. 
And most of the, I would say, the dysfunction that we see, whether it's mental or emotional disturbances, is the the causation is this this lack of connection to the embodiment of our body and of, of breath. And that's like one simple thing that connects directly to our brain. That was just, I love teaching about the diaphragm and the nervous system and the brain and all of that. Mm-hmm. It is so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because isn't one of the big tenets, he says it's uh, actually about breathing less, like slower. Yeah, longer, not- slower breaths. An average person who is, let's say, anxious is breathing really shallow and quick. Or we look at somebody who is unconsciously having a panic attack or there's an unconscious uh, um, hyperventilation that's happening. That's very different from the conscious choice of doing bastrika breath, right? Or bellows breath Mm -hmm. or consciously choosing to do a breath type versus when our breath is unconsciously being triggered due to a stress or stressor. Have either of you had a panic attack before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I chose to leave Yoga, I had a panic attack. Actually, I talked to you on the phone driving home, and I was, like, hyperventilating, crying the whole way up. And then I was on my floor in my kitchen fully having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stepping away from everything that I love to not sacrifice my spirit, Mm -hmm. my integrity to my spirit. Yeah, Yeah. that was a tough time for you. But I would say um, that... Just to talk back to what you were just saying, we can and we can ask that question again about the attack, panic attack to you guys. But um, Guru Singh would say um, that the most important thing you can do is is like teach people how to breathe. Mm. Like, don't worry about touching your toes. Don't worry about mm. like any of the philosophy stuff. He's like, do teach them how to properly breathe because mm. that's mm. going to be a game changer. That's like, as you said, like that's going to calm the nervous system. That's going to get you back into like this place of a calm state where you can make your choices mindfully. You can move forward with integrity. You can do all those things like once you're calm. Because mm. as Julia said, a lot of people breathe in the upper channels, which is like brings in that anxiety, high kind of, you know, um, unsettling space. And so those long, deep grounding breaths and elongating and consciously stretching out the breath is going to make a big, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Have you had a panic attack, Julia? I want to say I've had severe anxiety. I had crazy mm-hmm. anxiety at the start of COVID. And, and I definitely was that first week I was driving back from my friends in Nelson and I got the phone call and a friend said, you need to go grocery shopping for a month <laughs> go get some toilet paper and the who has yeah go get your and honestly there was no toilet paper it was so stupid anywho uh and then i was having the all the symptoms no saliva sweaty palms my heart right my resting heart rate i think was at i was like a slow jog non-stop i couldn't it was the worst mm. i've my hair fell out like i had the worst anxiety mm. response to my body and uh and you know, at the time, that's when I went immediately online and started to do online Instagram. Uh, and that's when I began to build my online studio without even knowing it and start, thought, okay, there's one way I could deal with this. I could crawl under a rock and cry my face off in deep despair, or I could do this, the Instagram live because I felt this fire in my belly. Mm-hmm. Like this is part of, and you probably felt this too. This is part of what you've been training for. You've been training for moments like this to offer these services of wellness and connectivity to the greater good and other people. So that's when I started to do that. And then, um, yeah, so I'd say that in terms of a breath type and the, the, the mistake that I did make, there was another friend at the same time yeah. having an anxiety attack. <laughs> 
there's lots of anxiety attacks happening in the 2020 year. I was telling him to do, um, hold the breath. Yeah. I was like, inhale, inhale. I was doing something called like basically ladder breathing where you inhale, 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 and then you do a long exhale. This is cool biology. So something we do know is that if you do have anxiety or having an anxious anxiety attack, it is not a good idea to focus just on the inhale. You have to work on the exhale because our heart sits on top of our diaphragm like a little muscular tugboat and it cinches on the pericardium of the heart cinches onto the muscle of the diaphragm. So when we inhale, there's a very, very natural little rise in our heart rate. And when we exhale, there's a very subtle fall in the heart rate. So a a good breath for anxiety, I think it was Dr. Wheel, he did it. It's called four, seven, eight breaths. So you Mm -hmm. inhale for four, hold for seven, and then you do an exhale through your mouth for eight. That one is really good for anxiety. I've been teaching that one and the students love it. Okay, well, we'll finish this podcast with it. There you go. It's very basic. Because also the exhale breath, when we hold like... um, by a kumbaka, the holding of the exhale also calms your nervous system, doesn't yeah, it? Like, yeah. isn't that the parasympathetic nervous system yeah, that yeah. it's connecting to? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Doesn't it feel like that when yeah, you're holding you, you your breath? You did learn something from the pranayama. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. No, I've no. also been studying a lot, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> I know that this is definitely anti-anxiety more so, because if somebody is in a panic attack, they need to do a few other things. They can't necessarily just drop into pranayama, right? But if they're prone to getting panicky or anxiety, especially is a thing right now. So this is good for those of you who may suffer from anxiety. Yeah, (laughs) life, right? And I've I've suffered from anxiety. It's horrible to have Mm -hmm. an anxiety attack. I've had an anxiety attack. Not fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Anxiety sucks too. Yeah, anxiety in general sucks. (laughs) Well, yes, we agree on that. Yeah. Um, so would you like to do some breath? We, we would love it. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps whether you're in a cross-legged position or two feet on the ground and I'll do it with you. So this is called the four, seven, eight breath. And it is a deep breath into your nose. You'll hold it for seven and then you'll exhale through your mouth for eight. So you'll do inhale four, pause for seven exhale for eight. So I'll guide you initially through it. And a good idea is if you're at home, you can place your hands to your outer ribs and just feel your mid rib zone. And when you, when you know that you're, you'll know that you're diaphragmatically breathing because your ribs will fan out left and right. And that's a good thing because your diaphragm, as we were speaking of, attaches right in there. So begin by expelling all of your breath to the very, very last drop. Then do a deep breath in through your nose for four, Inhaling three, all the way up for two, to as much as you can fit for one. Then you'll hold your breath for about seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Now exhale through your mouth for eight, like a, like you're fogging cold air. Six, five, four, slow and steady. Three, two. One, inhale for four through your nose. Three, as much as you can fit. Two, all the way up. One, hold for seven. Six, five, holding your breath. Four, three, two, one. Exhale through your mouth. Eight, seven, six, extending it. 
five to the very last drop, four, three, two, one. Inhale for four. Hold seven. Exhale, eight. Inhale for four. Try closing your eyes if they're open. Hold for your count of seven. Exhale, eight. Again, inhale, four. Hold, seven. Exhale, eight. Do two more cycles on your own. When you get to the very, very last drop of your eighth count, keep your eyes closed and just pause and observe how you feel. Are you noticing a regular in-breath? Even allowing for a sigh, if you'd like. And gently open your eyes and notice how you feel. So what's happening there? You want right away? I'm like, bah, 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 like ruin it. Um, what's happening there is that's the, the example of doubling your exhalation. So your heart is responding. There's mm-hmm. a, that autonomic nervous system response. Based on my time with you on the beach, I kind of want to like lock, like put in. Oh like yeah, a lock do the lock. Yeah, it's lock free. Lock free. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you know when to lock and when to unlock? Well, Crystal, would you like to jump in on this one? Sure. Yeah. I will say I'm super fucking blissed out from that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a slut to you're, the you're, pranayama. Your cheap pranayama date. I am such a cheap pranayama date. And mantra date and anything. I'm like fucking launched. Like, where's Crystal? She, I don't know. She left the room a while ago. Um, yeah. So you, it's in the teachings, it said that um, you hold the bandhas, those, the energy locks, um, those uh, locks, if you're holding for longer than 10 seconds. And then if it's below that, you don't need to hold them. The idea, I always thought of uh, like a fire hose that's doing this, you know, like squiggling at the top of it is wild. And then the neck lock 
was like, cause, and then the like, bottom lock, and it, it, yeah. it said that it pulls the prana up yeah, through exactly. Shishumna, so it's like mm-hmm. a rising, but it's more direct rather than that like snaky mm-hmm. one you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The little kundalini. Mm-hmm. Can I, yeah, a little, little kundalini. Kunda kunda. Kunda kunda. Hey Jules, what's, um, like Andrew and I were talking about like our morning practices of like our rituals. Do you have a morning, um, Kriya or something you do like beside from the ones that you teach? Cause teaching is obviously part of it, but do you have your own special little sequence or something you do every morning or well, every because, other? I mean, my, my studio is my practice cause it's so extensive. So I wake up, I do, uh, I have a meditation series. So I, I wake up at six 30, do a meditation for 40 minutes well, a little talk and that's talk, breath work. And then we drop into 20 minute meditation. Mm-hmm. And then I go right into my, my pranayama class. That's a half hour. And then I teach Austin until nine 30 mm-hmm. and I feel fucking fantastic. Yeah. That's a nice combo right there. <laughs> and honestly. And my boyfriend, he often says, Oh my gosh, you're so happy when you come mm-hmm. out of, and our job saves us, right? Like I just think of oh, how yeah. I can see and why and how some people fall off the yoga wagon for sure. And I understand it and I have compassion and get it. And Patrick Krillman, who is a huge influence in my life, he talked about, we were chatting about it the other day of how our job has kept us in good order mm-hmm. right and Sandy. and how even even when things went awry we still you know there's we're watching kind of others maybe fall fall apart around us who maybe aren't into the practices and that's one of the first mm-hmm. things i see there's there's kind of this and you may speak to this there's a little bit of a refractory period and there still kind of is of you know yoga became a mainstream thing and then people got their hate on for it as, as well you know mm-hmm. like this kind of like you know, oh, I don't do yoga or like, oh, I did that between this year and this year, but I don't do that anymore. And I just think, God, that is such a shame because these practices doesn't matter when you plug them in and if they're cool or not cool, they mm-hmm. fucking work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's so many avenues like you can target, like look at a lot of people um, go for it just for the physical, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, of course, we're not just physical teachers, but mm-hmm. that does have a potency and a power. It'll get you to the end game. It just might take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But like, there's so many different avenues that you can go and different like um, forks in the road mm-hmm. of yoga that you can experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, oh man, I fuck, I just I sing all day mm-hmm. long, like the mantras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was driving to class yeah the other day and I was singing the guru mantra which mm-hmm. is actually the first mantra I learned from Julia mm-hmm. she made me sing made me you made me <laughs> sing it to you learn it and sing it it's the first um yeah anyways so but I was singing that on the way to class I was like guru brahma guru vishnu and then all of a sudden a uh, young mc bust a move came on the radio <laughs> and I like stopped chanting mantra and turned up bust a move and started mm-hmm. rapping oh, man. <laughs> it's funny just the other day I was listening to this stoop I mean let's just say it neuroscience is effing nerdy <laughs> there's some nerds in my this zone like i'm like Ooh. i don't know i think it's, it's like, sexy i think it's having a new yeah. okay it's having a renaissance well i've been watching a lot of nerdy people and so there's this guy on youtube he started to talk about <laughs> about different practices to anti-anxiety practices hmm. so he talked about the four, seven, eight breath, but he was saying it, doing it in such like a elemental sciencey way. And then he said, he said, and then I've learned, and he said, now this, you guys is kind of out there, but I do yes. something called Kriya yoga or Kriya <laughs> Kundalini. And I, or Kund, he said something. Wow. And then he started to sing a little song <gasps> and it was, it was, oh. you know, Satana. <laughs> 
and everyone's like, and like, it's like in a conference hall and everyone's like, you know, but he was like, this is how this helps me. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. You know, it just makes its way into modern day. I love that. It's yeah. A, yeah it's like a pendulum. You got to go yeah. all the way out yeah. to like swing yeah. back. I think it's like accountability and like for why people do fall off the track. Mm-hmm. I think it's like accountability and some people like hit it a little too hard. And then it's not really yeah, yeah. Um, sustainable. And it's confronting, right? Yeah. Mm. Like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Like, the, actually, part of the reason, and I'll let Crystal speak to this as well, why I wanted to go into the impetus of why I wanted to go into what I wanted to go into is that after doing probably 20 teacher trainings and realizing why am I so drained <laughs> after teacher training and holy holy Hannah, there's a lot of people who show up with mental health issues Mm -hmm. and are attracted to or drawn to when in transition, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, all these things that are hap that would show up. And I personally did not feel qualified nor was educated enough in what was happening to them potentially in a spiritual level, but not on a biological and informative way that I could send them other than giving them the name of a counselor. I just felt almost irresponsible and not doing due diligence and understanding the science beneath mental health disturbances. And so I just felt, and this is a very common theme amongst yoga teachers, they have this aha moment of, oh God, this is above my head and um, I need to learn what's happening and know how to negotiate what it is that I'm responsible for, what it is that I'm not responsible for and understanding boundaries within a teacher training, but also knowing when we need to sign off and send that person to a therapist or send that person to a doctor, send that person to, you know, treatment treatment. and it, you know, it's heavy duty. There's a lot of like crazy things that showed up to teacher trainings. Um, and that was a huge, 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 huge impetus Mm -hmm. of why Mm -hmm. I went into neuroscience Mm -hmm. and mental health. Mm -hmm. You do go deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very deep. A lot, lots of tears. Yeah. Right. I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's life changing. You know, for ninety five percent of people it's like incredible and there's like five yeah. percent who leave and they're just stunned, you know. I think too it's like people are ready to show up and do the work and some people are want like think that they're ready to show up and do the work, yeah, but then yeah. they aren't willing to do the work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, I honestly my patients are the people that show up that pull their shit but don't don't take responsibility for their end of things. I'm kinda over yeah, it. Yeah, same. Like I'm just God. like fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously, you need pay attention. <clears throat> Yeah. Pay attention. The, that like, victims. Yeah. The victim, the mm-hmm. blaming it on other people. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't, I'm just not mm-hmm. fucking interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. hard though. Cause that's like a coping strategy and that's like a way, um, people are, are, you know, trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So I find it kind of hard cause I don't have that. I have like the opposite. I have like a striving coping technique mm-hmm. and then I'm trying to find like a more, meet in the middle or to get curious with that and not just be alienated when people kind of assume like a victim stance on things because it triggers me what's the neuroscience on triggers what type of triggers like that triggers me like when somebody acts like a victim like Mm -hmm. I just it's unhealed trauma isn't it so it's like yeah I mean trauma is a obviously a big word but I don't know about the neuroscience of it but triggered it's like you're it's hitting something that isn't healed within yourself Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah. Or Julia Moore. Well, I think, and, and then just in terms of like basic anatomy of the brain, there's an area that just popped up in the insula, which is rarely talked about in the brain. And it has to do with disgust and like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, when we're like disgust. Oh, and, that's like Gottman stuff. And right? it actually, it's also speaks to when I think of the, um, the yamas and niyamas of, uh, what's the one aversion, mm. right. Or disdain or like when we're, we, we are, we disgust, we are disgusted or despise someone um, and, and, you know, it's interesting to have a look at why is that sometimes you just don't like someone because you just don't like someone or they have something in them that completely is due to, like you said, a childhood trigger or something mm. that comes up for you or a bad experience. So there's a lot of this, the psychology of things. And then there's the, what's happening in your brain. And, uh, you know, I was actually just speaking of this week of the default mode network, which is, mm. Um, I talked on Instagram about it, how it's this, uh, this constellation of neural networks within the brain that actually are activated when someone pushes our triggers and we, we essentially are, then there's, for example, in states of heightened anxiety or heightened depression, we see a heightened activity of the default mode network and the opposite is the positive task network. So when we're focusing on something, when we're in flow, or, you know, when we're doing something, we have to focus on something like the breath or like, you know, potentially positive things. It takes us out of the default mode. When you think of the word default, it's like, what do we default to? So when I think of triggers, it, you know, inevitably in there somewhere, you know, the area called the, well, everybody's probably heard about the amygdala. The amygdala, they've thrown into the default mode network as well. And the amygdalas are these amygdaloid bodies that look like little almonds in your brain have to do with, with the fear response and stressors. And so we see that meditation, for example, decreases and shrinks the size of one's amygdala after eight week trials. It's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Whereas when someone isn't under a great deal of stress or in a state of chronic stress or anxiety, there's, they have in a way this hyperactive, if you will, amygdala, amygdala activity and probably the default mode network as well. So I imagine when someone is triggering us, we would drop into that, that neurochemical constellation of things but it's also on an energetic level what crystal was just saying of just all the stuff the shit of our past has to go somewhere right and it's showing up in our whole body the embodiment of things um like gabar mate says you know stress is stress occurs when we stop being ourself you know mm-hmm. when we, we, oh, I like we that. you know when i think of yoga we talk about the capital s self all the time mm-hmm. versus the smallest self so when we're denying or or ignoring that capital s self there's many consequences, consequences, including neurobiological ones that lead to illness and death, you know, where we, we drop into really uh, disease or depression or despair. And that's not a good thing. They talk about that too, though, right? The body is tight, like it, you Mm -hmm. feel tension in your body or the stress in your body. And the idea with the yoga asana and the pranayama and these things that help to loosen that up, to move it, Mm -hmm. because if we don't, it Mm -hmm. turns into illness. Like that's what the the teachings say, like it'll turn into illness, but then that illness is also another opportunity to look in to see like, okay, well, what's not healed here? Mm -hmm. Because if you're holding something, the stress of not speaking up about something that's bothering you and then your throat gets restricted. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, you have all these throat Mm -hmm. issues. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, what, what was the, the plant, the seed in the beginning that caused that Mm -hmm. and start to heal that part of yourself. 
But what about, it's interesting because my sister has that thing where, um, that drives her nuts certain sounds, like someone eating, like mm-hmm. they make the sound of eating and if there's something in her brain, it's called something, I can't remember what it is. And she like fucking loses her mind. Like she gets so like a- ASMR, but the opposite where you hate the sound of things. Yeah. yeah. And there's, mm-hmm. there's her and, um, someone else, like someone like clicking, like on the table with their nail yeah. and it, it's something triggers in the brain and they fucking, they like get so aggro. Mm-hmm. My sister has that. That <laughs> sounds to me like a, there's, there's something that has happened as she, she had a concussion or had anything like that. No. Cause sometimes there, that sensitivity to light and sound could be indicative of something going on mm-hmm. in the nervous system. There is a name for it. I can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like some sort of syndrome, right? Yeah. yeah. Dax Shepard talks about it a lot too. Mm-hmm. Oh, does podcast. he have it? I no. But people him. people comment whenever they're doing something on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I remember on my podcast oh. once, was it with you that I was eating chocolate? Mm. Oh. I think it might I think have I been. Was, no, I, you know what? I was chewing gum. No. Horrible. Yeah. Because some, a friend of mine was like, were you chewing gum? And I was like, oh God. I could hear it. So, you know, like the smacking sound. It was horrendous. So funny. Um, I don't chew gum. Oh, I, I don't chew gum. gum much either, but yeah. for whatever reason, I Julie decides to chew gum on the day of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people lately have been telling me like, what? You don't chew gum? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I guess I stopped like 20 years ago. Yeah, I didn't. I just got into it again. I found a gum that it was like... What's your gum? I can't. I think it's XL peppermint, but it comes in like this little plastic container, which is also infuriating because of its horrible little plastic container. Yeah. But um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really silky gum and the bubbles you can i'm just like addicted to blowing bubbles right mm. now funny yeah um okay we should talk about that next week oral fixation mm-hmm. <laughs> okay that could go sideways quick <laughs> could go way sideways quick do you know who you're chatting yeah. with right now <laughs> dirty bird one dirty bird two <laughs> Do you want to do you want to close it with a mantra? You should give us a journal Actually, prompt. I do have a journal prompt. Let's let's, let's hit it. Let's hear it, Julia. This is something that I have been doing. So you know you do to-do lists in the morning all the time. So instead for my brain, I like to do journaling at the end of the day before bed and I do what I did list. Oh, that's so nice. So instead of a to-do list, I look back at my day because I'm often, I'm a high needs achiever. Let's call spade a spade. <laughs> you. <laughs> and I need to, and it gets, I sometimes look back at a day and say, what did I do? If I just kind of, you know, whatever, put, brush it off. And um, the did list, when I do a did list, it actually reveals everything that I did do. But I also just do little things like, sent my dad flowers or did, um, you know, I went for a walk or you include the little things or made myself coffee, cleaned the kitchen, you know, did this email. And then you, when you look at the actual things that you did do, there's a certain level of satisfaction and compassion that comes with that. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see that there's that feeling of like accomplishment, which a lot of times I'm like you, I'm like nonstop and I'm tired a lot because I'm like, fuck, just don't stop. Mm -hmm. Um, and I find that I always have the to-do list Mm -hmm. and even though I'm crossing things off and I'm like, oh yeah, there's always something left on that list. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, oh, I I didn't get that done. There's Mm -hmm. this feeling of like, um, failure, failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, to no did list, the did list, what I did list, (laughs) what I did list. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're very mm-hmm. welcome. I love it. I love Everybody homework. listening, let me know how your did list go. Yeah. Get, did. Get it done. <laughs> when? This is the Daily Practice Podcast with Crystal Borelli and Andrea Holman. Yeah, life teachings, life practices. Good luck. Om Hari Om Hari Om Hari Om If you want to check us out on the World Wide Web, our website is thedailypractice.life and on there we have all kinds of resources, but we have a free full moon course. It's about an hour long. There's a yoga practice, pranayama, you'll learn a mantra as well as story time and all taught by Crystal Borelli. Hari Om.